Hello again, and welcome to the next exciting installment of the Who Cares About Anime podcast. I'm Johnny Lobo, and of course, I'm joined today by good friends and peers in the anime viewing and critiquing world. Here are the introductions. First off, on my imaginary right, around this imaginary roundtable at which we are sitting, uh, here's uh, creator of Did You Know Anime, Michael. We are your cure for the real folk blues. And here's our good buddy you'll recall from uh, the music special we did, as well as that bizarre adventure of a podcast we went on that one time. Here's Will. Uh, insert teaser trailer here. I like that. We'll do that in post. I'll insert a cool teaser for you now. But <laughs> <laughs> all right. And uh, and today we were just looking for uh, something fun to do, something memorable to all of us and hopefully to many, if not all of you listeners. And of course, I'm sure you have deduced by now the title that we'd like to cover today is the one, the only Cowboy Bebop. For those of you not familiar with Cowboy Bebop, get out. Leave right now. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I was but... say, where have you been? <laughs> Who doesn't know Cowboy Bebop? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And 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 you, I, we won't tell anyone. You don't have to say if. But so if you're not familiar with it, I'm sure you've probably heard of it. But it just if you're if you're not familiar with it, uh, here's where you probably want to bow out because we are probably going to uh, be spoiling things along the way as we are wont to do on this podcast with whichever topic we are covering. So let's go ahead and jump aboard. Here and uh, and for the first question, I was thinking was uh, kind of how we how we usually start out. You know what what were the circumstances and uh, when did you first hop aboard the Bebop? I hopped aboard the Bebop and by proxy the Adult Swim train uh, or whatever your uh, space vehicle of choice. Uh, I hopped on them at the same time. Uh, it's funny because I remember watching the very the very first broadcast of Adult Swim before, uh, you know, uh, people today or kids today who know of Toonami and Adult Swim way, 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 way back in the post-apocalyptic year of 2001. Um, also, funnily enough, a Space Odyssey. Uh, but Adult Swim was just old people in a pool and this like in these incredibly simple promos or no promos at all and or at least initially uh but for me at the time i was a, you know big into toonami and the idea of more adult anime was something i think anybody whose uh only gateway to anime was cable tv you know adult swim as it was was a very it was very alluring but like I said, there weren't a whole lot of promos for it, but naturally being glued to the TV, uh, like so many 90s kids were, I was like, well, of course I'm going to watch this. And so naturally Bebop was on the first run, the first airing, and uh, it was just – it was the show that stuck out because it was the cool show. It had this tone and this atmosphere that you just could not pay attention to. I mean you, you look at that first lineup – and Bebop stands out simply because it's, you know, Bebop. At that time, there was no. At that time, there was nothing really like Bebop. And as much as I watched Inuyasha on the first Adult Swim, I watched Bebop. So that's that was my first introduction to Bebop. Was the very original Adult Swim. Right on, right on. Uh, Will, how about you? Well, this is gonna be this is gonna sound very familiar to you, you boys. Maybe not to the rest of the audience, but I saw Cowboy Bebop when I was in college, 
I was an undergraduate from 1998 until 2002, and Cowboy Bebop came out in, in the at the in 1999 in Japan. So uh, fan subs leaked onto the young and virgin internet uh, sometime in that time. So me and a couple friends were pioneers in the torrenting business back in the day, and we torrented. Trigun, uh, Roroni Kenshin, Cowboy Bebop, Gundam, 8th MS Team, Macross Plus, uh, the Roroni Kenshin Ovas, Bastard, I mean, Golden Boy. I watched all of these on bad real media and bad AVI rips of things, you know, grainy, horribly pixelated, and Cowboy Bebop was one of those. I remember distinctly it, watching it and Trigun back in the early to, late '90s, early 2000s, in horrible, horrible media files in my uh, in my uh, dorm room, just kind of hunkered at the screen, going, "Ooh, what's going to happen next?" <laughs> so that's my story, and it kind of just hung with it. It was one of the shows that I saw not just once, but I saw it several times over the several years that followed because it was actually a good show as opposed to some of the other things we watched and we kind of forgot about. (laughs) (laughs) But we're, we're not going to talk about those other things, uh, at least, at least not here. So, but, uh, but no, thank you gentlemen for sharing. Um, I, I, uh, Will, you've got a few years on, on Mike and I here. (laughs) So, uh, you know, my story is, much like uh, many others, I'm sure, and uh, very similar to mice. I, uh, I, you know, I'm trying to remember. We're, we're, I think all three of us here, ladies and gentlemen, we're we're going off of uh, years of of memory here. Uh, so I, I know it was real early 2000s, and I remember those <laughs> Adult Swim promos that that uh, that that Mike mentioned, you know, and and just how. You know, I, I I don't know. I guess it, it, they were so uncool. They were cool. I guess I, I think kids can relate to that nowadays. That's kind of seems how things are with with a lot of other things too. And I I remember at one point, um, you know, like one of my parental units, you know, seeing it and just being like, what the heck is this? And seeing you know, Adult Swim and me just being like, oh no, that's that's uh, has nothing. They're just trying to be hip and cool. It's it's cool. I can totally watch this, you know. And and I'm sure they didn't believe me, but <laughs> at any rate, um, I um. Uh, yeah, Bebop was one I remember. Unlike um, so much Trigun, like we talked about on that podcast, uh, Bebop, I was able to catch most of the series. Um, I had to seek it out years later to get the ending. <laughs> I I hadn't had the ending for for years, but um, I I remember uh, I remember one of the first uh, one of the first episodes that really sticks out in my mind was the one. And I don't remember the episode number. I'm sure a, a search on your local internet will will show you. I want to say your local library, but not your local public library. No, but um, the the one where somebody left something in the fridge and you know it, it went bad. In fact, it went really really bad. And you know that's the the punch you get at the end, of course. But the the whole build up to that, and it, and and it seems like you've got like this um, alien vibe where it look it, it looks like some mysterious alien is uh is one by one picking off members of the crew and i remember that being like genuinely pretty scary of course i was a preteen but i remember being like freaked out like oh man what's going to happen here what's going to happen and then by the time it gets to to spike and and you get that so that that mixture of like dread and then just slapped in the face at the end with haha like it was like, gotcha like <laughs> i was like Wow, that that made a uh, that definitely made uh, an impression 
on a young Johnny Lobo back at the turn of the century. I love and hate saying that at the turn of the century, man. Continuing along this uh, good vibes, train, whatever uh, metaphor you'd like, this uh, line of thinking here. Let's go with um, – uh, we'll start with you again, Mike, and if people just want to list their – like a favorite moment. I know I kind of kind of did there. Um, so favorite moment and or uh, some of your favorite characters from Cowboy Bebop. Well, I think it goes without saying that everybody is going to say Spike uh, or, or Spike is going to be – uh, in their top list of characters from Cowboy Bebop. Um, you know, it's funny. I think no matter how big Steve Bloom gets with, you know, Star Wars Rebels or any other role, he's always, always, always going to be the space cowboy to everybody. Like, every everybody knows that no matter how big he gets, he's always going to be Spike Spiegel. And, you know, I think it also helps that, it just so happens that, you know, his defining role or the kind of the role that he played also happens to be in one of the most iconic anime of all time. And so, you know, I think that that also really helps define Spike a little bit is because it's he's such a cool character. He's kind of weird, too, when you think about it, like when you think about how he's designed, like even for like in the late 1990s. Like, he's got the kind of, like, over... He's he's really skinny. He's got, like, Lupin proportions for a character who is in the late 90s. He's, he looks different, and I think that really helps him. Spike is naturally one of my favorites. But, I mean, there are so many great characters in the show. Um, as far as favorite moments go, less so favorite moments and more so favorite episodes. Um, you know, one of Bebop's biggest charms is it can go almost from slice of life to melodrama in just one episode and so you have so much creative breathing room like you were talking about with the fridge like you can go from like a horror to like almost flip it on its head in the same episode but there are two episodes in particular that are like no matter i haven't seen bebop in a while but like i could almost tell you almost tell you shot for shot these episodes because of how well they're burnt into my mind. And that's episode one, uh, Asteroid Blues, and episode four, Gateway Shuffle. Um, Asteroid Blues in particular, because it's such an intense first episode. Like, you think about, you know, up to this point in my existence, I had never seen an, a, a quote-unquote adult anime, so to speak. You know, I was going from DBZ and Tenchi Muyo to... Bebop's first episode, which had drug deals and really real death, you know, and the tone was just so heavy that, you know, like for a kid or, you know, a young person to look at that who's used to Voltron and give me your energy, everybody, to spoiler alert, they both fucking blow up when he's high as shit on the red vial stuff. It's like, you know, whoa, holy crap, slow down. Like, this is, this is, you had that feel, at least for me, I had that feeling where it was like, I got to follow this because, you know, it's always that first thing, whether you're into music and you find that first little bit of thing that's heavier, you know, Bebop was kind of that in a lot of ways, you know, it was the first anime that I saw that was really, really, not, it was, it was adult, it was mature, so to speak. Um, and episode one personified that, like that kind of set the tone. Uh, but then episode four, because it just, it always disturbed me when again, spoiler, um, that one ass kissing 
terrorist guy, the who always calls that I forget her name, but he always calls her mama. He gets turned into a like a monkey thing at the very end, and that always like really disturbed me, just the way that it happened. And it was very, it was, um, you know, again, it's a dramatic theme change. You go from school and lightsabers to fucking bioterrorism. You know, it's such a, it's such a big change. And I remember, you know, you talk about being scared of the fridge. I was scared of like, you know, oh, my God, these things that they're going to do to people. So episode one and episode four were the ones that really stood out for me. Excellent choices. Excellent choices. Although I got to say probably, you know, any of Bebop's episodes is is uh, an excellent choice for, uh, an, uh, you know, an excellent example of cinema, not just Japanese cinema, but cinema at large. Uh, Will, how about you? Favorite characters and or favorite moments slash episodes well i'm gonna go ahead and go with the fan favorite say i love me some spike uh spike always had kind of this nice mystique around him especially early on because you know he's he's done some shit in his in his day but he's kind of moved past it he's kind of ignored it and trying to put it back but it always keeps the keeps coming back to him one of my favorite episodes in particular is the ballad of fallen angels which is the fifth episode of the series so you think of asteroid blues which is basically a dr- drug deal's gone bad then you look at the next three episodes which are basically just character introductions and kind of fluff you have like the stray dog strut where they get ein which which is a welsh corgi which are cute as hell uh then of course Faye shows up and uh ed shows up and so on but when you get the bow to fallen angels it's the first time that you are introduced to vicious who is spike's other number so to speak and you get to see the two of them basically have a big gangster battle in the middle of a church and so you have all this symbolism everywhere, uh, shattered stained glass. It's very beautifully animated, and you know this. Know this. There's something darker going on with Spike. You you never get get completely get all of the story. Even at the end, I think there's still still some pieces of the story that aren't completely spelled out for you. You see like uh, these sepia sepia tone flashbacks with uh, Vicious and uh, Spike and Julia and. Between the three of them, something went down. I'm not saying what, but things went awry, and ev- and thus everyone hates – just about everyone hates everybody at that point. And it's something that's always kind of looming in the background throughout – even when you have like happy fluff episodes like uh, Stray Dog Strut or what have you, Jamming with Edward um, – a lot of these, a lot of these episodes had nice, nice little themes to them. Then you have the nice little one-off episodes, like uh, the uh, alien episode is "Toys in the Attic" with the uh, pur- purple blob monster that gets at everyone. Uh, I like those little one-off episodes that are just kind of encapsulated. You can just watch this episode and say, "This was a nice little story." You don't have to worry about the entire flowing narrative like you do with some long-running shows. <clears throat> I'm looking at you, Gundam. Um, you don't have to know like everyone's backstory. It's just what is this creature and why is it trying to eat me? Another episode that's very similar that has a lot of darker psychological overtones is the one I'm going to focus on more, which is uh, Pierre Le Faux, which is the story about Mad Perot. Uh, he is it's, – it's imperatively implied in all the flashbacks that this guy was experimented upon – Forced to somehow develop psychokinetic capabilities. He can levitate. He can make force shields. All this really wacky shit. And 
he ends up going after Spike for whatever reason. I think he's a witness to yeah, he's a witness to the guy getting revenge on all the people who tortured him and tormented him through his his creation. And again, there must be no witnesses. So Mad Perot starts chasing Spike, and Spike, through all of what he is, is a He's basically a normal man. He's well. He's highly trained in, trained in martial arts. Hell, the entire show is basically kind of kind of a throw visual throwback to the seventies, as I uh, discussed with my parents uh, back when I first saw the show. Uh, a lot of it's back, basically a throwback to the old action series of the seventies, and that's very much what Spike is. He's he's lanky. He's well trained in jujitsu or whatever uh, martial arts are taught in space times these days. But he's just a guy with martial arts and a gun against a psychokinetic madman. Who's going to win this? It's, and it's interesting how Spike always kind of just barely gets out of the way or barely tries not to get shot or tries not to get hit with whatever Perot's throwing at him. And the climax is actually very interesting cause, uh, and very inadvertent. There, there's no way I'd think that Spike knew how to defeat Perot by at that point, but it, he made it work, and I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to take it for what it is. Naturally, I could quote all of the big story episodes, like uh, when they explain what happened to Faye Valentine and why she is the way she is, as well as all the episodes like uh, the real folk blues at the end, uh, where they where you finally have the final throwdown with Spike and Vicious, and everyone goes their separate ways, and of course, then there's the final line, which I'm not going to say. I'm going to leave that to Mike to uh, explain as to what the what the fi- what the final signature line is, because that's his shtick. Uh, but it's a good show. I mean, pick an episode you will not, you almost will not go wrong. <laughs> I like that. I like that because uh, we could all go on and on and on. But to anyone uninformed and informed alike, I think at the end of the day, it's one of those you can just say, "Well, it's a good show," and and you're not wrong. <laughs> um, I remember new, now, man, hearing, hearing you guys talk about it, and I'm so glad we did this because it's a uh, lot's coming back to me now. I, I hear people have said, and I, I, I unfortunately he was unable to be with us today, but um, I think it was Payton um, and some of my other friends who uh, I, I think is a is a you know is a good good policy and stuff, and, and it's everyone's own prerogative. But um, you know, sometimes they have a well, I have a three episode or I have a five episode rule, and it's like okay, what's that? It's like well, when I'm trying a new series or one I haven't seen, I'll give that series. X number of episodes, and if it if it's if I'm not hooked by then, I've given it a try, but I'm done. I'm moving on, and I, I think that's a really good approach. But you know, then you go back to something like uh, Bebop, um, and, and many others of that era, and um, like you said, Mike, that first episode, you're hooked, and that's always had a profound influence on me. Another one, uh, you know, back similar time, I was. It was on Toonami. Was of course Tenchi Muyo. Same effect with me. That first episode, you are absolutely hooked. You're like, whoa! You're knocked out of your seat, and that's really stuck with me even through my, uh, you know, my academic career and film studies and everything like that. It's not a the defining criterion for something, but for me personally, it really is something I look for when it's like, okay, you know, you've got a new series, or okay, you've got whatever this and that. It sounds almost too demanding in a lot of ways, but it's it's for me personally it's it's no you got to hook me in that first episode like 
show me what you got. This is this is that's a crucial time. That's when you get people uh, people on board. And whether it's something origin story, like uh, it's funny mentioned, uh, you know, bastard uh, will, or it's kind of more in media risks like uh, like like Bebop or Outlaw Starts. Just starts action, action, action. I think there is something to be said about that. And uh, and and Bebop. I still remember. I remember. Some uh, promos, them using that, you know, yeah, keep those eyes wide open. And, you know, when he's uh, whatever that <laughs> that that obvious narcotic or it's implied that uh, narcotic or that illegal substance, these uppers that the guy's using as he's, you know, in this crazy gunfight with people like a, you know, like a meth head or something. You can't even feel pain and you're just go, go, go um, until you drop over dead. Um, that that really. uh profoundly impacted me as did uh you mentioning uh that that one episode will with the guy who got experimented on that that laugh that's just burned inside anyone who watched bebop that's burned inside your head forever it's somewhere back there um (laughs) in the recesses of your mind and uh I, i remember i don't know if it was spike or somebody said um that was a really it's just a creepy quote but it it was kind of true and he said they were commenting on how Lafoe, if I'm saying that correctly. Um, uh, sorry, what was his name again? Will you had it? What, the, Perot Lafoe. It's very Perot very French. Lafoe. There we go. The Frenchman. <laughs> um, as his mind was like regressing further and further, and they were saying how he he was you know much more like a very childlike state, and they said you know well what's what's more cruel than a child? And we don't think of it that way, but there's some truth to that because you know a little kid you know like you know grabbing a you know a little animal or a pet too hard or squeezing too tightly or just you know just just not not knowing uh being ignorant of that and being being innocent of that in a way um and then in this scenario it just that whole episode was really freaking creepy so i guess that's not a favorite of mine's great episode but um I really liked the uh, the Mushroom Samba, I think is the episode name. The one, of course, where they <laughs> it involves, uh, as is so many of them is, there's crazy gunfight, chase going on, cars. but And then, like, Spike in that whole episode is just, like, <laughs> he's just off on his own trip uh, with some, and it involved some mushrooms. And, uh, man, that's, you see that again in, like, uh, Samurai Champloo, another anime series that was directed by Shinichiro Watanabe and uh and of course there they stumble upon some uh, marijuana uh <laughs> and uh and similar results and uh so I guess um to get more on point here though <laughs> um uh favorite episode or favorite character um I really like uh I got to say Spike is absolutely he's 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 uh he's undeniably super cool and I love Spike and his whole, you know, he's he's teaching that one kid how to fight, and he's basically saying, "Be like water, like this." So he's got this, like like you said, Mike, that that really I think aptly describes it. He's almost got this Lupin appearance and movement at times about him, and then he can just spit something Bruce Lee level profound like that. It's like, are you kidding me? Like I'd never seen real life or otherwise. I'd never seen anybody like that, and that was so. Awesome character, um, uh, but I, I I love Ayn. I mean, he's like my favorite character. I mean, because come on, he's it's just, it's just like 
it's like Will said, corgis are it's playing the corgi card, I guess. They're just undeniably like the cutest dog breed ever, and I've just I've loved corgis ever since. I've never gotten to own one, but if ever I did, you I'll give boys and girls listening one guess at what I would name that that dog and uh just pretend that he was super intelligent as well. But <laughs> Um, and I guess, um, uh, you know, kind of a closing thing for me on this one here, I guess I would say is, uh, like, uh, like a certain somebody here said on a past podcast, um, I'm going to cheat a little bit and say that I, I enjoy this element in many other series as well. And other series, I have a, an easier time of just pointing to, oh, so-and-so, that's like my favorite character. Or this is my favorite character. Bebop, in my opinion, the most amazing thing about it is not only these individual characters um, like Spike and Jet and Faye, who just by themselves are just so enigmatic, they're so multifaceted, they come across as real people, flesh and blood people, but it's when they're all together. You have the, the, the interaction of all of these characters, uh, these, these radically different people put in these crazy situations is uh i i i think and maybe we'll get into this more but i i think that's one of the indelible charms of cowboy bebop that has helped it survive to this day and and i think anyway i think that's uh one of the reasons that bebop continues to occupy such a special place in so many people's hearts to this very day and will for many 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 years to come all right, moving into um we were kind of getting into this, I think, uh, a little bit. Mike, why do you why do you think because I it, it's pretty much common knowledge at this point uh as we were kind of all alluding to how beloved Bebop still is to this day. Um why do you think that is? You know, some of some of the reasons for that. Why it's still regarded by so many almost this it, it's put on such a pedestal by so many people and not saying that's not uh, necessarily that that's not deserved, but uh, why do you think that is? Well, I mean, there are a number of different things. So I'll try and, you know, try and keep it condensed to uh, the most, the biggest ones. But when you think about why something is successful, there are usually one or two of dozens of different factors that come together to endear that show to somebody or to people in general, like usually a couple of different things, uh, timing, genre, whatever. Um, and those will come together and, you know, we'll have, you know, the walking dead being popular or, you know, game of Thrones being popular, so on and so forth. Bebop is one of those rare one in a million shows that had all of the different factors that, needed to come together to endear to them. And that's why, you know, we're coming up on 20 years since the first show or since the first episode aired, why it's still just as important and still just as talked about today as it was in 1998. And I'm just going to, I'll try, like I said, I'll try and keep them condensed as much as I can. Cause you guys know I can rant forever about everything. Um, but first, first and foremost, I think it had arguably the highest caliber of voice acting crew at the time. And, you know, no offense to the lads and ladies who work in, you know, Texas or uh, New York, but in the 90s, Cali was the premier in voice acting, and the anime industry was no different. Steve Bloom, Mary Elizabeth McGlynn, Wendy Lee, Bo Billingsley, 
not too many other shows. When you think about some of the best, especially from the 90s, when you think about some of the best voice actors in anime of all time, not too many other shows have a pedigree that high. Some do, but not not to this degree. Uh, you know, one thing that also helped Bebop was it was also part of a very unique but short-lived genre of anime called the Space Western, which up to this point had never really been done. I mean, there there were shows that had somewhat Western themes to them, like Space Pirate Captain Harlock had the outlaw, you know, which Americans very much identify with. But the Space Western, Western being the important part of that, was this really confined thing that happened in 1998. And it happened around three different shows that all happened to premiere in 1998, which was Bebop, Trigun, and Outlaw Star. And so... It's hard to think of a world of anime without before Bebop with that kind of genre in mind, but it was a it was brand brand new and you know that's just one more thing to add to it. You know, an, uh, another to kind of piggyback right off of that, the space western was made for America with American sensibilities in mind. You know, Shinichiro Watanabe has gone on and said that, you know, one of the some of his biggest inspirations, he does it different than other anime directors. Other anime directors will look at period pieces from the Meiji period and they'll look at uh, and then kind of sort of sprinkle a Western sensibilities in there. But Shinichiro Watanabe was looking at films from the 70s. I think he taught I think if I'm remembering correctly, he even talked about uh, I think it was John Carpenter's Dark Star. If I'm remembering that correctly, like he he lived and breathed American cinema. Like he knew he knew how to get Americans on board as like thought process wise. And, you know, as much as the four kids haters will, you know, tell you that rice balls aren't donuts and all that's so terrible. Americans love American things and anime had never really got the American way of thinking before the space Western and before bebop that really helped it. It also, again, right place, right time. Bebop was released in the mid to late 90s, which was during the you know sci-fi cyberpunk and after the sci-fi cyberpunk boom of the mid to late 90s, which not only – or really most of the 90s, but it really peaked in the mid to late 90s, which helped push anime to the mainstream. Shows, you know, Akira got pushed into the mainstream because sci-fi at the time was really, really hot and it was coming into being really, really hot, and which would also help push anime into the explosion that every everybody listening knows is the tsunami boom, the boom period. That's when everything got blown up. But right just before that, it was because, you know, a lot of a lot of anime that you remember from tsunami, they were all sci-fi oriented. Very few of them were. And, you know, Bebop in particular and the space westerns really got pushed because some of the biggest shows on TV at that time were all space-oriented. Star Trek The Next Generation, Stargate, Babylon 5, they were all coming out around that time. So all you had to do was flip to another channel. Oh, shit, there's something else that I like. It'd be like if there were four different shows of Game of Thrones on, everybody would, like, you know, pop back and forth between them. But one of the most important things that I think people just... I'll probably rant about this. This is where I'll get actually ranty is that Bebop had phenomenal music and the opening and ending are just masterfully done. And we can all attribute that to Yoko Kano because Yoko Kano composed the series and, you know, side rant 
but like most of music and anime is dead. Like people want to talk about Moe killing anime or Big Tits killing anime. No, the lack of composers who give us anything but overproduced J-rock or J-pop and ambient horse shit is what is killing anime. When I, you know, music is so underappreciated, but it's so vital to making an anime original and making an anime memorable. If I start singing the Mario theme to you guys, you guys know immediately. I wouldn't even have to say the Mario theme or anybody who's listening. I could start singing the Super Mario Brothers theme and everybody would know it. That's the power of music. Imagine if Mario didn't have that music or imagine if Mario's music was just gen- was like generic ambient noise. There's no definition of who or what it is. It's just noise. You know, Johnny, you showed me School Rumble not too long ago. And honestly, from my own perspective, I take one look at it and I, it's not really my thing. But when I sit down and I listen to the opening, all of a sudden, wow, this is a lot different than I thought it was going to be. And it's, it is different. And so it makes me want to turn around and maybe check it out. To get back on Bebop, Bebop's music is so entwined with the show. Like, you know, like most of the episode titles are named after something that was related to music or has music into it. And that's something Shinichiro Watanabe has always had in his shows. And, you know, also, again, it ties back into the American thing. It's bluesy, it's jazzy, and it's, for all intents and purposes, it's adult. You know, it's it's very much, it, it's it's so finely tuned that Bebop without the music would not be Bebop, you know? And to sprinkle one more one put one more sprinkle on the cherry on top of a perfectly put together cake pie ice cream whatever it stayed around because it's fucking good and more shows should try being half as good as bebop mic drop no (laughs) that was that was wonderful it's a wonderful rant and i think uh some very astute points uh brought up um will how about you what are some of your thoughts on why bebop it retains its legendary status among western audiences well i mean how can i add to a rant that was just masterfully done <laughs> um well what i could add to this is basically that it it has a little bit of every something for everyone it's not geared only towards this crowd or only towards this crowd something that uh the audience might know uh from reading different uh, sources on the internets is the term pandering where a particular a uh, particular commodity or particular product is designed specifically to exploit a particular clientele uh such as uh we mentioned a moment ago moe and big tits uh again that stuff is geared towards a particular audience and a particular mindset and a particular viewer, which has been cultivated over years and years and years, as opposed to back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s and early 2000s, where it wasn't as much of that. It was much more experimental. People were trying shit out. Uh, Artists were allowed to create products that were or create uh, art they were actually allowed to experiment with things and see where they went and they weren't as they were they of course they wanted to make fucking money but they didn't make they didn't focus so much on this has to appeal to x demographic or we're not going to produce it because we don't believe it will make money cowboy bebop isn't that it's not 
pandering to one particular audience. Are there definitely hints that it or definitely definitely indications that it had motivations? Oh, by God, yes. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a very strong work if it didn't have any kind of uh, direction in mind. It definitely has a story that is going with with uh, Faye. There's a story that's going with. Uh, with Spike, there's a story that's going with every single character, even, and they're all interwoven very well. But in between all of those different interweaving stories, there's there's little segments like Mad Perot. There's uh, things like Toys in the Attic with the uh, alien creature. There's there's homages or homage. What's the how do you pronounce that word? Homage, I believe. Uh, yeah, if just, you're going say Smith. Eng- <laughs> just say Smith. English homage. Uh, if you want to sound Frenchy and fancy. Homage, but you know, I'll just say um, I'll say omelet du from omelet du fromage is what I'll say. <laughs> uh, that dates me, but um, of course I watched that when I was in in high school and college. So I mean, it doesn't it does it dates me even worse? <laughs> but um, but that's the idea. There's a lot of things that are paid reference to that are paid homage to, but. It's not uh, supplicant to them. It's not. Uh, it's not pandering to them. It's not pushing that in your faces. Like you see this thing right here. You want to buy it. You want to buy it. Uh, no, it's just. It's just being a good story. It's giving you a beginning, a middle, and an end. And even though all the all the loose ties aren't tied up completely at the end, hell, it has a fucking downer ending. Spoiler. Um. <laughs> uh, it's still a good story, and most people who watch this, who have any kind of goddamn sense, look at it and say, "I enjoyed that experience. That was that was worth seeing." It's and it carries over. It's something with Watanabe in particular because look at Space Dandy. It does almost the it does very similar things to it, definitely in a different way, but. It does very has many of the same overtones. It's not pandering to one particular demographic. It doesn't pay homage to things that came before it. Of course, it does, but it's not beholden unto them. It's it's allowed to do whatever the hell it wants, and it does it well. It's just well put together. Uh, that's different than looking at a lot of the series that I've seen now, and it's why I'm not doing as much... It's why you don't hear me on this podcast as much, is because I'm not into current anime. <laughs> um, you look at modern anime, and it looks so homogeneous, so packaged, so off-the-shelf put together, as opposed soulless. to something that... Soulless, yes. Uh, it looks it, it looks dead. There's nothing to get invested with. When I look at my, I'm looking right now at my perfect, uh, perfect sessions collection DVD set on my shelf over here. Yeah, that dates me too. <laughs> and I look at that sepia colored, and don't get me wrong, sepia is a is basically one tone. It's kind of off. It's kind of off brown. But you look at that monochromatic picture of Faye, Jet, uh, Spike, Ed, Nine, and every one of them has character. Every one of them, you can immediately look at them and you know who, for the most part, who they are. You know what what you would expect from them. You're not going to, unlike looking at more modern anime, where you look at all the characters of Bleach side by side, to which you're like, who's who? Who are these people? Why do I give a fuck? Because they all look the same. Not just because they're all dressed like Shinigami, but because they are all very homogeneous. There's not that many distinctions between them, except like... He's the guy who has the ice power. She's the one who has the big tits. Okay. There's not as much character there as there was with, say, Cowboy Bebop. And I think that's what 
stands the test of time, is a good story and good characters that drive that story. All right, excellent answers by uh, by by both of you. I gotta say, and uh, Will in particular, you were really uh, really getting into some. Uh, uh, reminds me of some of uh, Rudolf Arnheim, if I'm recalling the name correctly, going back to my uh, academic days of uh, of how that kind of used to be the case where you, you had uh, a lot of times, and it's kind of a counter to auteur theory and not to go too much into that, but basically he kind of laments, and this was, you know, many years ago. I uh, can't imagine how he would react now, but uh, this was years ago, I believe, where uh, how that's becoming more and more the case. Uh, film uh, products of the cinema, if you will, not literal film anymore, but, but things like that, anime, what have you, uh, they, they're becoming more and more and more, they're commodities and they're kind of factory churned out. And he was one of those who said, uh, uh, I'll quote him here. I got his, uh, got the essay pulled up actually. Let me, uh, in industrialized production, a film today is characterized far more by the company who makes it than by the director. The new directors are less and less distinguishable from one another as are the new actors. So uh, that, that's kind of what we were getting to is, 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 you know, which is why I'm very glad that, uh, Shinichiro Watanabe and directors of his ilk, not necessarily, uh, you know, having a pinch. Uh, there's another one, uh, Will, penchant in English, penchant uh, <laughs> in the, the French, uh, having a tendency for, uh, you know, for Western themed things. But but basically just of the ilk, meaning he's a true artist. And I think one of the reasons Bebop succeeded the way it did is because it literally comes out right in the beginning and tells you it has the audacity to say, this is a new genre. This is a new thing. You've never seen anything like this before. So sit down and buckle up kitties. Cause you're about to go for a ride. We're going on a field trip. And you know, a, a, like, like uh, Mike said, the, uh, the, the, the timing, you know, you couldn't have planned it better with uh, the, the culmination of all those factors kind of colliding there and coalescing. You had the, uh, you know, Space Western, It and Bebop, those kind of both entered the vernacular at the same time, and they're seen as synonymous with one another, uh, inextricably so. Uh, so, you know, I think why why is it uh, why is it remain the way it is? Because quite simply, like we said, it's very good uh, because it set out to be its own beast, and I think you know that's where things today or things that follow after it, you shouldn't set out to be like Bebop in the way it is aesthetically or, or otherwise in the same vein as how this thing called Neon Genesis Evangelion comes out and it just, it just, it takes the world by storm. And after that you had, there we go into with the businessmen, the uh, commodities, the uh, we've got a product here. Let's push it out more uh, pander, if you will. And you had attack of the Ava clones ever since to this day. Um, and uh, so fortunately you don't see that as much with the likes of Bebop, but so, but, but, but I, I think new uh, anime or new uh, works of art in any field in any country at any time should kind of take the spirit of Bebop. And that is, do your own thing, color outside the lines once in a while. And you just might have, if not a commercial hit, you'll have something that's, you know, all its own. And uh, so I'm just, I'm thankful to Bebop 
um, and everybody involved in it for contributing to something like that. And of course, that was a great point you uh, you brought up as well, Mike. With uh, uh, you know, you talk about <laughs> you know people's associations with it. You can't not think of when people think of bebop. People can't not think of tank, and it's probably one of the few for anime casuals where the uh, the composer, the person behind the music, uh, Yoko Kano, is a household name. Uh, a lot of people, it, it's just not the case with a lot of other series, but but there, that something like that, that's that just that just sticks with you. So I think that's uh, that. Those reasons, those are listeners, those are our opinions on the matter and of course i'm sure there's there are many others and there are many other takes and we'd be happy to hear about them um hypothetically in a uh comment section or or elsewhere because i'm sure there are innumerable reasons why um for example i remember i think it was the i think it was the outlaw Starcast, mike where, where you said we talked about we brought up space dandy we brought up champloo that's probably that that's probably plays no small part is that Shinichiro Watanabe himself, he has really remained prolific and he's kept himself out there and he's kept producing work and things that uh, getting back into uh, auteur theory, you can see his signature there, but you know, Champloo isn't, it's almost like they're siblings you could say, but you know, Champloo is nothing like Cowboy Bebop and Space Dandy is, uh, you know, nothing like Champloo or Bebop. I think, uh, you know, what you're talking about, Shinshiro Watanabe being unique, I definitely think that's also one of the things, it, it was both a gift and a curse to Bebop. It's like, you talk about Ava clones. Ava was big over here, but it was massive in Japan. Not too many other shows have gotten as big as Ava got. It was, it only, it basically dwarfed Yamato at that time, and Yamato is like a national treasure to Japan, so... I think one of the things that really helped Bebop in a way, both inadvertently and also, you know, not, was the fact that, you know, many people will say that it did bad in Japan. It didn't do bad in Japan. None of the Space Westerns did bad in Japan. But in relative popularity to everything else in Japan, they didn't do phenomenally. But, naturally, once they came across the ocean, they did, you know, Bebop, Outlaw Star, and Trigon did way, way, way more infinitely more popular, infinitely better uh, money-wise than they did in Japan. And so in Japan, we didn't see shows try to be Cowboy Bebop because the Japanese, you know, even though the Japanese get a lot of money from us, especially now from licensing, in Japan, you could see it immediately. And the Japanese are very slow when it comes to stuff like that. And so we didn't see 15 shows try to be like Cowboy Bebop. They looked at Bebop as like, ah, you know, whatever. It did kind of okay. And I think that's also nice because Shinichiro Watanabe is the type of guy who never phones it in. He always did it his way. And very even, – even when he had to work with sponsors, he did it in a way that – he's a masterful director. He knows what he's doing. But he luckily, you know, with all of the shows that he's done – he never had to deal with that so much. So I think that is what has really helped his, you know, his legacy and also helped, you know, Bebop. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, and I, so I've just, I, I'm, I'm so glad that, uh, especially us and, and everyone else, we, you, you, one has a propensity to say, Oh, I remember the good old days. And I, I think there is a lot of truth to that. Um, <laughs> when we're concerned, we just happen to grow up right around a, a high point 
in a lot of ways in the nineties, um, in anime and in a lot of other things, um, in the, uh, in the film world. But, you know, there, there's, uh, there's good and bad stuff whenever you live. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm just, I'm thankful that, uh, of course, Bebop's very unique to its time, but also very timeless. And, um, hopefully, you know, we have, um, uh, like we just said, Space Dandy very recent here and, you know, hopefully Watanabe will continue to be working in some capacity, uh, in the industry or on his own, whatever he wants to do. And, um, and, and keep being that, even if it is in the current cultural climate, the exception to the norm, even if it, even if that has to be the case, uh, I'm, I'm glad there are directors and brave gunslinging cowboy pioneer types, uh, even if they're Japanese <laughs> to, to keep paving their own path, uh, the way Watanabe has and continues to do. That's absolutely awesome. So, um, I, it's kind of, this might be reiteration for, for some of us here. Um, but of course we've got time and, uh, and, and so I guess as we get to the tail end of this, uh, I possibly, I'm not, I don't have a stopwatch by any means, but is there, uh, you know, is there beyond just what it accomplished and, and what Bebop is, is there any, uh, is there any personal reasons that Bebop remains special in your mind? You know, it's funny because you know, we, we've been talking so many times, or, but this has been, you know, primarily about the specifics of the show. But I, Bebop is somewhat of a personal anime for me simply because it was always on my TV from its first airing to its last. It literally is the only anime other than Pokemon that I know of to stay on one network without being taken off for a consecutive 12 or 13 years and i watched it only on tv i own the series i've had that series signed by shinichiro watanabe himself but i have never opened it to watch that right was always reserved for adult swim and ironically enough you know i watched it both on its very first airing on adult swim and its very last and i and when i say last i mean literally the very last time that it was shown on Adult Swim. And ironically enough, well, not really ironic, maybe, but that was the first time I'd ever seen the ending, uh, was the very last time that it aired. And, you know, part of that was because I never wanted Bebop to end. I never wanted to watch that last episode because it was like closing the final chapter to a book in my life that I never wanted to end, you know, knowing that the cast of Bebop would always be there to entertain me with a refrigerator from hell or, you know, some casino gig that didn't go right. It was the one show where even if you didn't have anything else to watch, Bebop was there on Saturday nights and it's Bebop. Even if you've seen the episode one time or a million times, you know, it's not going to disappoint so Bebop was always kind of like a totem for me. It was always kind of like the, you know, Bebop's still on TV, all's right with the world. So that's that was it, it's kind of a, you know, coming of age, passing type thing that I associate with Bebop. Right on, man. Right on. And that's so crazy. We've uh, we've known each other for so long, Mike. And uh, I, I never knew that about you in the kind of the last episode of Bebop. And um, I was kind of that way, too. <laughs> In the sense that I didn't see the the ending of it, the last couple episodes um, on TV, and I pick it up on DVD years later. This was I don't know, you know, several years ago, 
and I started watching it with my with my roommate, and I'm sure a lot of people will relate in this way and how Bebop has been praised for as being a quote unquote gateway anime, if you will. And he was one of those like, oh, I you know, some of it being ironic towards the rest of our me and our mutual friends who uh, were very avid consumers of anime. And but but a lot of it was genuine. He just he just said eh, this anime is just not my thing. And, uh, and I was like, dude, watch this with me. And like I, uh, you know, I've known him for over ten years. I'm like, dude, you you will you will like this. Like, trust me. And he's like, well, okay, if you say so. And we, you know, I just got to watch the whole series again, and it was great. And he was really enjoying it. Actually, he's like, wow, this is actually really good. And he enjoyed the, uh, you know, he's big into criminal justice and and uh, police stuff, detective stuff. So he really liked uh, Jet in particular and a lot of his backstory. And he liked the whole thing, and um, we uh, we parted ways, just our living arrangements. And so for the longest time, uh, we didn't get quite all the way through. And so I still didn't see the ending. And so for the longest time, I just used as an excuse for myself, well, I gotta watch the ending. I gotta watch it with pick up where we left off. I don't wanna I don't wanna finish it without without my buddy. You know, like we'll we'll watch it together. And the years kind of went by, and and finally, you know, I. I kind of, uh, partially in preparation for this cast, even, I just, I had to close that last page and I had to have some closure. I said, well, here we go. And, and but the good news is, is, uh, and I apologize for making you wait so long, Will, but, um, but, but absolutely Bebop is one of those again and again and again, you can, you can pick it right back up and, and you're home again, you're in the Bebop. So, Will, what, what are some, uh, some special memories you have about Bebop? Well, I kind of gave a lot of a lot of why I like Bebop early on through all of this. Uh, Bebop is just a great show, and it was one of many great shows that I watched when I was in college. And that's my undergraduate career. This is just a, a little personal thing about me: is my undergraduate career, the 1998 through 2002. Was some of the best years of my life. I met some of my some of my best friends there. I probably watched the most anime I have ever seen in my life during that time. Again, I listed off several series that I got deep into because because of <clears throat> peg-legged ports and what have you. I just so you know, I don't do uh, I don't torrent things anymore because I actually have money now. But I mean, it, you know, it's back when you were young. You're you're young, you're trying to get out on your own. You don't have a lot of money. You have a little bit of ambition to you trying to improve your improve improve uh what I always believe is the point of a college education is improvement of self. Make yourself the best person you can and then go forth and become the man or woman you're meant to be. And anime was a big part of that. Uh, I mean I'm looking at my shelf right now of all the series that I saw and have now since actually bought legitimately uh, from my undergraduate career things, right? Like the Record of Lotus War Ova, the Giver Ova, uh, the Bastard Ova, Golden Boy Ova, uh, Matt... Uh, Macross Plus, Ken- Roroni Kenshin, Tenshi Universe, uh, Tekaman Blade. A lot of these shows are uh, Cowboy Bebop. A lot of these shows were the shows that I watched when I was in when, when I was a young man, and many of them have have stuck with me for that reason. Uh, Cowboy Bebop is kind of the same thing. It's it's neo noir. It's very much uh, a bunch of people who are trying to just kind of carve out. Their own life in their own lives in this war in this wacky world that they're in. Uh, I a lot of people have, and I'm going to go ahead and broach this comment, which is 
And a lot of people compare Firefly to Cowboy Bebop, that our boy Joss Whedon may well have taken lifted ideas, if not outright plot threads, from Cowboy Bebop. And I don't completely wrong him for that because they're good plot threads. They're good ideas of a bunch of a bunch of guys who are just on the wrong just just on the wrong side of the law, but just trying to make ends meet. That's what a lot of Cowboy Bebop is. It's just people with problems trying to deal with those problems. And that makes the, the, the story more human. And to be honest, that's what I like about a lot of shows is just showing ordinary people in extraordinary situations. Uh, that's why I'll mention my, the series that I just finished the most recently, Tekken and Blade. It's the same kind of idea uh, directed by our, our boy Hiroshi Nagishi. Uh, you have a what is basically an ordinary person put into an extraordinary circumstance, and he has to deal with it. Cowboy Bebop, in in my opinion, is much the same way. Each of these people come from different backgrounds, most and most of them have the most human of motivations. Faye's trying to pay off her debt. Spike is trying to get past get past what he did as a young as a young man. Jet is has forsaken his police career to try and make it on his own. Ed is well, Ed. <laughs> and Ayn is cute. They're just and they're just trying to make their life make make a good life. And things go right sometimes. And then, like the ending, things go wrong sometimes. And sometimes you can just put blame to it. Sometimes you can't. And things just happen because things happen. Uh I love Tekken and Blade. It's a great series. It's a great superhero series basically. Cowboy Bebop is more about people and what people do. And I think getting back to the previous question of um, why does Cowboy Bebop li- last so long, it's because it's – you could barring all the sci-fi stuff, you could see these people actually living and breathing in this, in, in this world. And as much as I love Tekken Man Blade, you can't say that about it, not as, not as easily. Cowboy Bebop, you can and that's probably one of the reasons I, I like it. And, I'll, and I go back to it periodically. I don't watch it often, but I do circle back around to it. Maybe this summer I'll, get, I'll break down and watch it again, as just, along with many of the other things I'm going to rewatch this summer. <laughs> right on, right on, guys. Thank you for sharing. And um, I'm sure this will be a cast where and, – and, and we welcome it. If there's comments, you guys, oh, you should have talked about this, should have got that, and there's just – you know, we could – we could each individually just go on and on and on about bebop. I think that's one of its strengths. You know, some of the things that, uh, you know, you struck me, uh, what you said, will, it's not so much the what it's, it's the who. Uh, and I, I don't mean the, the awesome British rock band. I mean, uh, it's the, it's the people and, uh, Who'd have thought it? You guys made me bust out this uh, this this uh, <laughs> anthology of uh, film critics here from uh, you know. I was it uh, maybe it's Bebop reminding me of uh, of, of uh, younger days and uh, in my days in in college as well. Um, even though those came considerably after my first experience with Bebop, but I digress. Um, uh, th- this particular film critic was talking about uh, Renoir, but um, I, I, it really stuck out to me in the context of Bebop. And he says, uh, it's not through the conclusions of the plot, the fake wisdom of pompous men, that we learn anything. It's not who killed whom that is important. It's not through the hidden or open symbolism of the lines, situations, or compositions that the truth comes to us. It's through the details, characterizations, relations, reactions 
movements of the people, the mise-en-scene. And that's, you know, that that's like you said, Mike, and, and you as well, Will, we've all kind of brought up and, and just how much of a uh, – I remember uh, – correct me if I get this wrong, Mike, but I remember one time, and it's always stuck with me, you said, you know what a dream anime would be is if you had um, – if you had Naito doing uh, a story, you had Ito from Outlaw Star fame doing character designs, and if you had it directed by Watanabe, you would have – I don't even know. It would be too much awesomeness. It would literally break the internet, I think. That that is actually yeah. If I'm if I'm remembering correctly, that is exactly <laughs> what I said. And I mean seriously, you take something like that, forget about everything else. That'd be the second coming, right? I mean, and and it, like we'll mention the uh, the you know the the uh, the neo noir vibes it has, and there's just so many. We could do a whole podcast series on Cowboy Bebop. Maybe somebody out there has. I I wouldn't doubt it. And just going you know shot by shot. There's so many times where Watanabe just shows his hand as I know what I'm doing. I'm a legit film director, and I'm using the medium of anime. He's not somebody. Um, you know, it's it's not so insular um, as it seems to be now. It's not the uh, oh I'm. You know, I'm going to be an anime script writer to write about boobs jiggling because I watched boobs jiggling when I was in college. And then I'm going to inspire somebody else to to write, you know, to rewrite and rehash the same fan service scenarios over and over again. Um, But I digress. But but also some of the things you said, Will, um, the uh, which I thought, too, when I saw um, uh, that was actually the very first thing I thought of when watching Firefly. You get into some of, and we we discuss specific plot points um, in the Outlaw Star cast with relation to Firefly. But right when Firefly started, like the music, kind of like what Mike said, right when, and I mean right when Firefly starts, you don't know any characters yet. There's no plot yet. Haven't had time for that. I immediately thought Cowboy Bebop. And you know, I'm not saying saying sort of thing, but if if uh, you know if if Joss did, then good on him. How could you not be inspired by that? And so, like what you said, Will, the uh, being just on the wrong side of the law kind of vibe, and um, that's so Americana, that's so Western, right? If you think of uh, all of the the Western movies that Hollywood's created over uh, the last century, and I, I think of that, you know, the la- like the last moment when uh, when Spike is leaving the Bebop, and you're not hit over the head with it, like some days is nowadays is the case you're not hit over the head with plot points but you know as the attentive viewer you know as spike's going you know where he's where he's going you know what he's going to do and you know that spike knows that he's not coming back and you know that Faye knows and you know that jet knows that spike doesn't plan on coming back and you have that part where um you know, Faye, she she kind of gets you know teary-eyed there as uh, as Spike is leaving, and I just thought like, man, you you can't get more Western than that. I really like what they did with Faye throughout the series and how she really was kind of this, um, and is for many today, justifiably so, kind of this uh, feminist icon. She was very much a character of her own. She had her own side adventure. She had her own agenda, and kicked ass all on her own. A lot of times, she was an amazing character. Uh, but then just just a little bit of, and I, I think that was uh, a lot of Watanabe's probably, uh, like you said, Mike, from the last century's in, influence of uh, of a lot of Americana there. You know, the the uh, the the <laughs> the demure, the 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 weeping women. No, 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 don't go. You're gonna get yourself killed. Don't do it. And, you know, ah, uh, 
you know, kind of a John Wayne type thing, you know, like, you know, adjusting the the holsters like I got to do it. That's that's just what I got to do. It's what a man's got to do. And just kind of walked off into the sunset. And that was that. And I was just like, man, you can't get more Americana than that. While at the same time, you know, it, it's it's bebop. It's it's nothing else. There's nothing else. Nothing else like it before, and there's nothing else like it since, and I don't think there will ever be anything quite like it ever to come. So, uh, as if we haven't said enough already, why do I enjoy it? Because it's just a joy to watch. I can pop it in my DVD tray over and over again, um, and it, it's you get that mixture of nostalgia, but it still feels fresh. Like it still feels new. Like some stuff you get just the nostalgia factor, but you're like, yeah, I know what happens. And and uh, you know, Watanabe has been criticized by some. I, I think mostly just trying to be contrarian and cool. But I heard him out. I've heard people say that, oh, he'll kind of start out with a plot, and then you have all these episodes, like referring to Champlu and and Dandy. I mean, he did it to the ends um, for comedic purposes a lot of times. But okay, so Watanabe, he'll kind of have. You know, this big chunk of middle episodes, very almost slice of life, very episodic. And then, oh, at the end, you've got two or three episodes of here's that main thread of plot. We've got finally gotten back to it and we have some resolution. And of course, some people, you know, don't like that. There's not enough resolution with Bebop, which I I really like that ending. Um, that's a whole other ball of wax, I suppose. But that, I, I think kind of what we've all been alluding to here is like maybe that that's probably one of the reasons why. I can pop it in over and over again and just enjoy it. And it feels fresh every time is because it's not so, and not that there's anything wrong with this. There's some works where it's, it's great because of the plot and the intricacies and stuff. Uh, I'm, you know, been doing a lot of, uh, they just, you know, they just released, uh, uh, an English version of the Bacano light novels. And so I'm, I'm reading those now in proper English and I went out and actually bought it. And, um, and you know, that's one of those things where it's very plot heavy, but I digress. Um, it's, so it's, it's, it's not so much of what's going to happen. It's not so much of, Oh, I know what's going to happen. I know this plot. Like there's just, there's just a joy in seeing a filmmaker, um, knowing what he's doing and you can take something away from it every time. Um, the mise-en-scene, I know that's fancy there, but that's just basically referring to the compositions and all the, the elements, the, the, whole is greater than the sum of its parts sort of thing. And, um, and I guess that that's, that's a lot of it, folks. It's ineffable at the end of the day. I think you ask a hundred people why Bebop special, why it works, why they love it. And you're going to get a hundred different answers. So that's who cares about anime's take on Bebop. I'm just going to open up the end here to, uh, to you gentlemen, uh, for just, we got some time reserved. Uh, is there any just general discussion, anything you're just dying to talk about or get in there for, uh, for Cowboy Bebop? I got something. The, uh, you know, we're talking about symbolism and whatnot and iconography and, or how iconic everything in Bebop is. And that's because it's so simple. Like, I will admit that if you had to ask me which which plot, quote-unquote, I would take between Outlaw Star and Bebop, i take Outlaw Star. I think Outlaw Star is better paced. But that being said, Bebop, one of the things that Shinichiro Watanabe does very well is he doesn't he doesn't get weighed down by this convoluted plot. There are a lot of writers out there, and even directors, who, th- who, th- who think that having these like really super intricate plots is good, but 
the flips, the double-edged sword, the other side of that sword is that if you don't tie up all those loose ends, you're screwed because then it looks like you, you know, you have to either rush an ending and everybody, everybody knows it's rushed, especially if you've built up all of these intricacies and you don't have time to do it. There are a number of anime creators out there who do that shit that I'm not going to name because I've named before, but it's easy when you have one thread, one simple thread of plot that you have to follow that's, that's decent enough but I have, like I said, I've always, always, always said the characters tell the story. The, the, the story is important, but it's the characters in that story who make the story worth and the plot worth going to. That's the most important part. One of the things that I really love about Cowboy Bebop that it does a number of different times, and it's very unique to Bebop, because you know how like some anime will have the to-be-continued uh, hiragana in the corner, like at the very end of an episode... Well, Bebop took that to a new extreme, or really, they had these really simple quotes in just black and this and this italicized font, and some of those, they're so profound, you know, like, whatever happens, happens. You're going to carry that weight. See you, Space Cowboy. Like, having those bookend an episode, just like, it was kind of like getting that last little bit of spice or that last little bit of sweetness out of anything. It was that perfect, like I said, it was like a cherry on top. It was like, boom, there you go. And not, again, not a whole lot of anime did that. I'm not going to say that I attribute that completely to American sensibilities, but it kind of did. Like, that's kind of something that we like to do. We love one-liners. We love shit that we can go back to. You know, we love the, you know, we think about all the quotes of stuff. Like, you always think about the Arnold Schwarzeneggers, the I'll be back. Like, we love putting that stuff on signs and on, you know, merchandise. It's just something that we do. And I think that's something that really helped Bebop as well. Like, the, you know, our good friend Will was uh, alluding to something I used to say at the end of every podcast was, you know, stay gold, bang. Like, that bang, just him going bang, that's that one word has now become synonymous. You can say that in anime fandom and people are like, Oh, of course, cowboy bebop. Like I, it's hard. It's hard to argue that a show is, is not, has not become a classic has not been solidified in the Han Solo carbonite of anime forever. When people, all people have to do is say one word and they're like, Oh, it's cowboy bebop. And even then that's like, and it, and is, I'm pretty sure that's like the definition of an onomatopoeia. You know what I mean? Like it's a sound effect, really. You know, he says "bang." You know, and but you're absolutely right. And I mean that you know it's we're not. You know, we're not fooling around when. And I remember you found this out, Mike. And we did a. Uh, I think you found it out, Mike. And someone, you can correct me if I'm wrong. And and you know, he did a did you know factoid on it. And you know, if, if anybody out there has ever watched regular show the creator of that he's very much on the same wavelength as we are he's like oh yeah that you know that ava cowboy bebop absolutely love that stuff and you'll see <laughs> you'll see that subtly um in things like uh, there there's a character and i'm sorry i'm not intimately familiar with the show regular show i've seen it some uh, i had another roommate who was really into it and it's it's a it's a funny show it really is i i, I dismissed it too quickly i was like ah that's but it's it was, it's it's actually really good um it, it's it's entertaining and there's this character, and I uh, actually I've I've noticed a couple extras now I've seen uh, where I go, 
hey, that's Steve. I can just hear hear that voice now. I can I can pick up on Steve pretty quick. But uh, so there was this villain character that, that was Steve, and I definitely go, oh, that's Steve Bloom. And then later on, that same character shows up in the show, a regular show, in like whatever 2014. Here we are, 2015, 20 whatever you know, almost 20 years later. And the character that Steve Bloom voices in regular show is at this Halloween costume party, and he's dressed up as Spike Spiegel. I mean, like, it, it was not, it was, it was not like even a, a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It was right, like you could, <laughs> there was no mistaking it. And I was just like, wow, that's about the coolest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, I believe the uh, the character's name is uh, Tecmo. Tecmo, there you go. Okay. Or Techno with a K. I don't remember. I don't remember exactly because it's. I haven't kept up with a regular show, but yeah, he. I Steve. You could you could tell right away when Steve Bloom voices a character, and I noticed that. And then when they did that Halloween episode, I'm like, of course, of course, <laughs> of course. Man, I mean that that's just um, man. The questions I would ask uh, is it uh, J G Quintel or Jason? That is correct. Okay, that's it. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's so cool. So just, just, just for, uh, for boys and girls listening at home or wherever you may be, um, just stick around long enough and hopefully you'll get that really cool feeling too, where you watch something when you're growing up and then you see something like 10, 15, 20 years later and you see people that, you know, kind of grew up in the same area you did. And it's like, you've never met. I don't, I don't know them at all, but I know we have that we have this minimal connection, you know, they say everybody's separated by just, you know, six degrees of separation and you get to see cartoons or whatever now that kids are watching and paying subtle, you know, homage, homage, tribute, what have you to, to, uh, to, to the, the stories of yesteryear. And that's just, that's an, that's an incredibly cool feeling. I mean, I now know how, I mean, that's funny. We've mentioned about everything in this cast um, at one point or another, but you know, that's like, Every anime, it seems like at some point or another, it's like our directors with the Wilhelm scream. It's almost like it's a, it's a challenge to fit it in somewhere. Like you see all the time, and even stuff over here with uh, George Christick and uh, and Megas XLR and stuff like that. You see um, a little nod or uh, homage, tribute paid, if you will, mandatory tribute paid to uh, Space Battleship Yamato, and that's just that's just so cool. Actually, it just reminded me, Megos XLR is one of those shows that I need to go back and watch because <laughs> I missed it when it actually aired. And finding that thing on home media is kind of tricky, it seems. It is. It is. I, I can't remember. Mike, you might know what, better why, but it, it's one of those things where it's like, hey, I don't know all the scoop on that. But all I know is if, if somebody, the people who can make that happen, you put that sucker on an, in a, a nice DVD set and you have my money. I, I swear to you, you have my money. Like, just take it. Well, I mean that's a that is a multifaceted problem, unfortunately. It it also doesn't help that Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon and all of the American producers of cartoons have no fucking concept about how to release DVD box sets. Like Japan does it all the time, but we just don't. I, I guess the people who run those departments are just like put ran. They'll either put random episodes that aren't that don't follow each other on DVDs. Or they won't release anything at all. Or they'll start releasing a season and then just won't finish the show. Courage, Johnny Bravo, Cat Dog, they've all been released on DVD uh, as a single season or two seasons, but they've never been finished. Megas XLR, in particular, um, it you can buy it on iTunes, but that is only because 
um, the creator of the the designer, and I believe George Kristic, but don't quote me on this, because um, there was like they did the, the it's kind of like the gorillas, like there's Damon Alburn who does the singing, but then there's Jamie Hewitt who does the the drawings, the actual characters. With Omegas, not to go too far off from Bebop, but Omegas, they there was a rights problem where Cartoon Network wanted to do wanted to have full rights to the series, and the creators were like, "No, you don't, you can't." Or and or what more than likely happened was Cartoon Network didn't want to pay them for for royalties, and so naturally that is what's kept it off of DVD and Blu-ray and whatnot. But Going back and looking at Megas XLR from an adult's perspective is really fun because you get to see all of the stuff that you missed or like the fact that Bruce Campbell shows up as a character in the show and his he's hilarious. And, he, and of course, naturally, he throws in a groovy in there. So it's like, ah, Evil Dead. But yeah, I, I don't think that Megas is going to show up on DVD or Blu-ray anytime soon. Yeah, that's, that's sad. That's sad. But that, that reminded me of, uh, you know, speaking of, Space Dandy, they did a Yamato uh, little tribute as well, and they, of course, Dandy did a lot of things, and one of them is a spoiler here for Dandy people and Biwa people, but uh, there's some, uh, there's, there's like we could talk about the the refrigerator from hell, you know, like there there that makes a cameo uh, in Dandy, and um, so I, I love it when there's stuff like that, and then also. I can't remember we touched on this, but, um, you know, speaking to how Champloo does not mimic Bebop and Dandy does not mimic Champloo and vice versa and all that. But, you know, there is that similarity in um, the main characters and indeed pretty much all of the characters like um, just thinking back to uh, Mugen of uh, from Champloo, like you get little bits and pieces, but you never get his backstory. You never get. You, you just don't know. You just don't know where he's from. You, 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 I mean, you, it's, there's things implied, but there's just, there's all these details about who this person is and, and, but you're left to wonder. And I love it when, uh, a storyteller can mix in that right amount of enigma, not, you know, giving you enough information you need, but it's almost like by holding something back, you know what I mean? Even people you're really close with, you don't know every little thing about that person. You met them at some point. And there was development in their life before you met them that you don't get to see. You might hear in snippets of them telling you stories or something, kind of like, uh, uh, you know, Jet and Spike kind of just, you know, sitting in uh, the Bebop uh, smoking cigarettes or uh, eating a bunch of hard boiled eggs <laughs> out of frustration and hunger. But, uh, you know, Jet, yeah, just, you know, you get that with Spike too. You get little bits of the backstory and you, you get enough to work with. Like you see with Vicious and uh, and Julia, it's like okay, there is uh, you know a tale as old as time itself in a way, but uh, but you know not to say that it wasn't original in the way Bebop did it and all that, but you know it's it's oh there was a girl, a girl got quote unquote got in the way of him. Okay, that's 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 what happened there. Even though you don't get explicitly told every single little thing, you know it, it's one of those things that. There's innumerable reasons why it happens. I'm sure we can we could we could go forever on a tangent on it um, about how consumers like us we contribute to it, how um, just the industry itself. But th there's really something to be said, like a director like Watanabe, where they respect you as a viewer 
and as a human being enough to not spoon feed you everything like a baby, like an infant that can't think or do anything by itself. You know, that you, 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 you gotta, you gotta meet them halfway. It's like, Hey, I've got this great story for you. I have these great characters, but you gotta, you know, do this minimal, put in this minimal amount of commitment and effort. And I, I really enjoy seeing, uh, filmmakers and artists and authors and the like who are brave enough to still do that, especially when nowadays, you know, you sometimes get metaphorically or literally like spat in the face for doing that when it's like, you want me to pander to you? You want me to treat you like a, like, like an, like an idiot and just shovel this into you? Okay. If that's what you want. But, <laughs> but I, I digress. Well, this is something that I could probably go on a nice little rant for, uh, because how much do you tell? How much do you not tell? Uh, how much of the story? How much? Essentially, how much of the story depends upon the story, and how much does it depend upon the characters? Well, we were we were pretty much in unison here a moment ago, and saying that of course the story is told is told best by the characters. Let the characters bring the plot and the relationships to you. But at the same time, do you need to know who begat who and who married who and who screwed who? And Brett screwed Brett, all right? We already know that answer. <laughs> no. Um, but in Cowboy Bebop, and I haven't – I've watched some of Sham- Samurai Champloo. I have not actually watched all of it because it came out when I was going starting grad school, and I kind of fell off of anime about that point. But uh, maybe one day it, it and Outlaw Star I should go back and watch sometime. Uh, <laughs> but – with Cowboy Bebop, who cares? At some at some point, you stop caring about who begat who and who did what. There's the air of mystery itself, especially in noir for some reason. Because if you go back to like black and white uh, noir films about the old PI who's smoking a cigarette, and then this lovely lady walks in with some torrid tale of 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 uh, betrayal that she wants him to go get involved in this in- incident. And he's like. They pull me back in. It's like the atmosphere itself carries it. Do you need to know why he, the the PI is disgruntled and doesn't want to get brought back into into a situation like this? Do you need to know necessarily why this woman was is is being betrayed or is or is betraying someone? Maybe not. Maybe the atmosphere itself and the mis- and just leaving that mystery there for you to sit and think about is more important and more more uh, telling to the tale, brings more to the tale than explaining, well, this is exactly how the goddess is meant, and that's how they created the universe, and that's why this woman is betraying this person over here, and uh, th- because of twist of fate, that, that incident caused this guy to lose his job at the police, uh, police department and become a PI. Don't care. Don't care. Just let the characters be characters, goddammit. <laughs> we, we sound like a we're like a group of nom vets or something. We're like, I was there, man. It's like we're all alluding <laughs> to the same thing, not wanting to, not wanting to say if, if you know if if you too you too that's right you too can uh, ladies and gentlemen can be scarred. All you need to do is uh, is delve into the Kajishima multiverse and I didn't you too. Want to go there. <laughs> it, it's pretty simple. If your story gets in the way of the characters, then you're not a good storyteller. The end. It's something that I've tried to do as a writer. As I've, I, 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 I mentioned this a little, a few days ago, that I was looking back at some old, old versions of stories that I'm currently go- going back and revisiting, and I was thinking to myself, 
have I actually progressed? Have I actually become a be- become a better writer? And I was and after all this, I was think I was thinking to myself about some of the stuff I've written in recent memory. It's like yes, because I'm focusing on what the characters feel and how they act as opposed to what they're doing. It's one of those things like you were saying, um, Will, which I think is one of the the subtle secrets of storytelling, and also in a weird way, um, I've since fallen off the wagon, sadly, um, with living arrangements again and moving and stuff, and perhaps you can speak to this a little bit as well, Will, but... I'll kick your ass later. I, I, was, <laughs> <laughs> I was having my, uh, one of my friends who's like a triple degree black belt, you know, I, he's got several, I don't, I, <laughs> like, and he's just showing me some, some really basic stuff. Uh, for self-defense, because I asked him to one time, and um, and, and and some of the uh, the philo- philosophy that goes along with it. And there came a point where, you know, you, you once like, you know, he'd say, "We don't tense up, just be more like this," and just you know, something with you think in the movies, it's always got to be like a oh, like a super. You know, like a like a some sort of super flip, or you've got to throw a guy across a room. Sometimes it's just like a turning of you know you just like pivot on your ankle and a turning of the wrist and all of a sudden the guy's like completely lost his balance and i was like that's i was I was trying to describe it i'm like that's so easy and he said it's one of those things it's so easy counterintuitive it's hard exactly it's so simple it's confusing to people and uh i even got a little i don't remember where it came from but it's it's uh it 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 made me that really stuck with me and I could see he, he got that somewhere from probably, you know, Zen Buddhism and, you know, a, a lot of the, uh, the heritage and culture that goes into the studies of whichever martial arts you happen to, to practice. Um, but this one says it's too clear. And so it's hard to see the man once searched for a fire with a lighted lantern. Had he known what fire was, he could have cooked his rice sooner. And it's one of those things. It's just like, you know, and it, it, it's not to say it's not a challenge. It absolutely is, uh, as you will and, and Mike and myself can attest. Writing things, conveying things, it's it's a challenge, but it's one of those things. Yeah, counterintuitive almost. It, it's difficult to put it into words. Um, but you, in a way, you just know it when you see it. You don't you don't have to be, um, you know, a mem- uh, sitting in an ivory tower, be a, a part of the intelligentsia. You don't have to have a, a degree in this and that and that and whatever. That's the great thing about a great work of cinema like Bebop. You just kind of know it when you see it. And even if it's ineffable, even if you can't quite put words to it, you know it's there. And I know it's there with with Bebop. And that's a comforting feeling in a way. It just is, knowing I've got that on my shelf, um, kind of the uh, in my back pocket. If ever I, If ever I need to whip it out at any time, I've got it right here. It's also some, one of those questions that it kind of becomes contradictory, especially for someone who's in research, is Bebop has this quality about it, this, this, this beauty about it. And it's all, again, this is something that a lot of us forget because we, it, we either think about trying to dissect it too much on the critical side or you look at like production companies and what have you and thinking about it purely as a product uh, and purely as profit. <clears throat> Mass production. <clears throat> but – you lose track of the fact that this thing's art, and the creative process is not linear. It's not. It's it's not on a tight schedule. This is something I was talking to the department chair about once. Was um, you work on research? Research is contrary to popular opinion. Research is actually a creative effort. <laughs> you have to think up an idea, 
and figure out how to prove or solve this particular thing and make it work. That is a creative process. And creative processes does do not happen every day. You can spend you can segments you can sequester yourself for an hour at a desk and say I'm going to write today. I'm today I'm going to finish this blah. You sit down, your mind just empties and you have nothing. So you sit down for an hour and you go, uh, there was a man from Nantucket. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's all that's in your brain. You can't, th- you can't think. But if you're, if, you're, if you're any kind of creative person, this has happened to you. You'll be in the shower washing your hair, or you'll be at the grocery store just getting, the, getting something off the shelf, or you'll be driving down the highway going, going to visit your dad, and suddenly, boom! Wait, what if I tried this? Inspiration strikes. It's it's not regular. You can't you can't pre- you can't control it. You can't predict it. Oh my God, I'm pulling out uh, Bill Paxton from Twister. It's it's not something that you can control and predict. And when when lightning strikes and is captured in a jar like Bebop is, it's something that you can you even quantify and predict that that would have happened. Moreover, and this is where uh, the production companies and what have you it come, come into play, how can you predict and, hell, cause something like that to happen again? It's, I don't think you can. And another question comes is, do you want to? Do you want to try and, one, recreate something that's happened already? But two, why would you want to limit yourself and say, we want to make blah again? Why not? Try and let just let let nature have its course. Just uh, how would restraining the creative process help the creative process? Basically, indeed, it it, it almost sounds like a, yeah, a paradox at a certain point because, as you said, Will, it, it's um, the artistic process. As much as we try to, and by we I mean like Hollywood, American culture, or what whichever culture, Japanese or even as well. the, or even uh, the artist himself. Yeah, exactly. That happens as much as you want to, like uh, maybe grandma's strawberry jam or something. You want to put it in a jar and package it and sell it uniformly. Um, yeah, it, artistic inspiration and things like that. It just doesn't work that way, and so that's why I think a lot of times you have your more business-oriented people. You want to. You want to minimize uncontrollable factors in general. Yes. Like you, you want consistency. You want predictability, so you can account for things and you can, you know, uh, uh, manage your business and, and make a profit and and know what your expend your expenditures are. And you know, that's where we've seen ta-da the last however many decades in both Hollywood and Japan and elsewhere. Uh, you know, the turning works of art into commodities and. Uh, and actually, in sci- in the sciences, one thing I, hell, I was writing my lecture notes for Monday today, and that cropped up. I was explaining what a limit is to <laughs> business calculus students Monday, and I was writing I was writing up what in layman's terms is a limit, and that's exactly what it is. It's how do you predict with again a tolerance? That's basically what a limit is: is given tolerances, what will happen? How can you e- effectively predict or uh, estimate the outcome of something if there's wiggle on the on the input. It's very manufacturing oriented, um, and the problem is is that there are things that aren't where where limits don't work. 
And that's what a good chunk of the first exam in a calculus course is, is not where limits do what you want them to, where things are predictable and easily set, easily not – hell, that's not where most of interesting analysis happens is where things go right. It's where things go wrong. It's where things are not predicted, where, where things can either break or shatter or something you never thought would have happened happened. Enter Bebop. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where I think, you know, you've got to be, you know, I can't imagine running a big production company and you, you've got to be of a certain mind when you're the one controlling the purse strings. But, you know, I think there's something to be said about, you know, you've got creative forces like a director, like a Watanabe or, you know, heck, a writer like uh, Gen Urobuchi, where you're hiring them on because of who they are. And, and you know, if I were, you know, in, in the, the big chair, the producer's chair or what have you, you know, it's like, you and you're seeing that now, which uh, again, it's usually the exceptions to the rule. It's not the norm by any means, but it, I, I, I like to see, for example, yeah, you see when Urobuchi, when you hire him onto a project, you hire him because he's Urobuchi. You like you bring him on, and it's like okay, let the man do what he does, and y y you know, so it, it's um, it's amazing. Um, and I, I guess we'll try to wrap up unless anyone, if anyone has any last jabs or final thoughts, but. It's kind of like uh, uh, that tweet one time, um, Mike. You, how does that go about things that are greenlit nowadays? It's amazing how many things these days are greenlit. The quote went, <laughs> "It's amazing how many things, how many sequels are greenlit for shows that wouldn't have been greenlit in the first place." Yeah, right. I mean, that's that that whoever whoever wrote that originally, that Bravo. Sir or madam, that's uh, that that's I think that's that succinctly sums it up and puts a cap on it. Um, if ever one could do so, it's just like after the fact. Uh, oh, you know, we want to do something like Ava. We want to do something like Bebop. The, your business people go, oh yeah, yeah, that'll sell, that'll sell. You get in a time machine, and before Bebop was Bebop, I don't know, or I'd go back in a time machine before uh, before Harry Potter was a thing. And you can look up on Google, I'm sure, how many times J.K. Rowling was turned down. Like, ah, I, just, I, just, I just I don't see how I could market this to people. Is it for kids? Is it for adults? It's kind of neither. And then you have people who are brave enough to color outside the lines, and then all of a sudden they redefine where the line is. And uh, I, I look forward to seeing how not only Bebop, how, how Bebop has done that, but I look forward to seeing how it's going to continue doing that uh, in the future. Well, thank you all for uh, for joining us today and for listening. Uh, if you'd like, you can, of course, subscribe to us on YouTube. It's just YouTube.com slash C. I guess that's how they do it now, slash C slash Who Cares About Anime um, or Google's your friend there. We are on iTunes, and we have Facebook and Twitter presence for uh, for. Uh, if you want to drop us a line, if you want to say hi, if you want to suggest something, if you have any comments about title we covered or any uh, comments we may have made uh, in today's episode or any past episodes, please feel free to do so at any one of those outlets. We enjoy hearing from you. And, of course, uh, thank you both gentlemen for being here today and for uh, for just shooting the breeze with me on an old favorite. And uh, once again, thank you uh, to everyone uh, who is subscribed to us and who has been following us and uh, hope you enjoyed this episode and we hope to have more on the way very soon. So uh, I guess on that note, 
I'll end with my usual closer and say, we'll see you next time. Mike, do you want to, you want to close us out this time? Bang. Perfect. (laughs) All right. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next time.